This is God's holy word. First from Philippians, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And from Matthew chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. You may be seated, and our children will be dismissed to attend their classes. And at this time, I'll welcome again Dr. Victor Naka. Uh, he, I'm sure he's going to tell you, if you haven't already, where he, where he ministers and how he ministers. But we're very excited to have you here to open God's Word for us, Dr. Naka. Welcome to Trinity. A very good morning to you all. And uh, thank you once again to the Children's Choir for bringing back childhood memories by singing Thank you, thank you very much uh, for singing that. Um, I'm here with my dear wife, uh, Nosizo. Uh, we, we live in Johannesburg, South Africa, but we are from Zimbabwe and we serve uh, with Mission to the World. Uh, I serve as the ID for Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back to Trinity uh, and thank you once again for uh, allowing me to share from God's Word uh, this morning. Using the two passages of Scripture that we have read, my uh, sermon title is Mission in Uncertain Times. How then shall we live? I want to begin by painting uh, a picture, hopefully a vivid picture of our context, the context in which uh, God has called us uh, to serve and one way to, to frame this, uh, one way to frame the, the story of redemption, uh, the story of our salvation, is to consider the already and the not yet. The fact that as Christians, we live in the land between the times, between what God has already done, what has already happened, and what is yet uh, to happen. The, the land between the times is the, is the present age, uh, best described as the edge of turmoil, the edge of distrust, uncertainty, the edge of confusion. Uh, this is the age where the, the flesh reigns, where people are divided, relationships are broken, and suspicion and competition predominate. 
where money, sex, and power are abused, where leaders are first and servants last, where behavior is controlled by law, identity is defined by race, gender, or social standing, and where gifts and resources are used to advance oneself. Uh, This is the reality of the present age. This is the reality of uh, the fallen world of which we are part, broken, confused, alienated from God, and often without hope. This is our context, the land between the already and the not yet. But this is only part of our reality. This is only part of our story. What does God's word say about those who have put their trust in the living God and they live in the land between? Well, it says you are already adopted in Christ. That is what God has already done for you. You're already adopted in Christ, Romans 8 verse 15, but not yet adopted, Romans 8 verse 23 but not yet adopted. You wait eagerly for that final adoption. Already redeemed in Christ, Ephesians 1, 7, but not yet redeemed. And we read in Ephesians 4, 30, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Already sanctified in Christ, but not yet sanctified. Already served in Christ, but not yet served. Uh, I, I, I was saved, I am saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. Already raised with Christ, Ephesians 2, but not yet raised. This is our reality in the land between. We live in this tremendous theological tension where God's kingdom is already present, but not fully realized. We wait, we wait for it to fully come. By faith in Christ, all these spiritual blessings, adoption, redemption, sanctified, served, raised with Christ, all these spiritual blessings are ours already. But the full enjoyment of these blessings is not yet ours. And so we wait. This is the life of faith the assurance of things hoped for in the future, and the conviction of things not seen in the present. Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is life between the times. And underlying this theological and practical tension are the two comings of Christ. In his first coming, he inaugurated the last days, and in his second coming, he will complete them. In the meantime, we live for now in the overlap of the ages, the already and the not yet. The gospel is what holds the already and the not yet together. Indeed, the gospel holds the whole Bible together as it takes sinners from lostness, condemnation, and alienation from God all the way through conversion and discipleship to the consummation, to resurrection bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. In other words, 
redemptive history or the story of redemption only makes sense because of the gospel. The gospel sums up the whole message of the good news that Jesus brought to the nations. Message of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Message of renewal, restoration, and reconciliation of all things. And that God has made us a part of this great story of salvation. Message of the restoration of relationships, justice, and equality about freedom from every idol as we continue to walk away from idols so that we can follow Jesus only. Message about reconciliation, forgiveness, and that ultimate defeat of the evil one. It's about compassion for the poor and the powerless, about helping those who are marginalized or rejected by society. It is about using our gifts and resources for the advancement of others. It's about new communities and the transformation of society and culture so that race, gender, social class no longer define identity nor are they used to control and divide. But here is the million-dollar question for us this morning. What does God expect of us as we live between the ages, as we wait for the second coming of Christ? What should be the role and duty of Christians? What is the mission of the church as we live in the land between? The late apologist and Christian thinker Francis Schaeffer once asked the same question. How should we then live? How then should we live in the land between? And in Matthew, the passage we read this morning, Jesus answers this question by using two important metaphors, salt and light. And he uses them as models of how believers should live and work in the land between. How believers should live and work before a watching world. He teaches about the responsibility of Christians in a non-Christian world, in a sub-Christian world, or even a post-Christian world. And he emphasizes the difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world, and he emphasizes the influence Christians ought to have on the non-Christian environment. The distinction between the two is clear. The world, he says, is like decaying meat, but you are the salt of the world. The world is like a dark night, a dark, thick night. You can almost cut through it. But you are the light of the world, he says. This is the fundamental difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. The difference between the church and the world. Then he goes on from the distinction to the influence. Like salt in decaying meat, Christians are to hinder social decay. Like light in the prevailing darkness, Christians are to bring light to society and show it a better way. 
show society that there is a better way of working. There is a better way of relating. There is a better way of doing politics. There is a better way of doing culture. There is a better way to do marriage. Like light in the prevailing darkness, Christians are to bring light to society and show society a better way. I think most Christians accept that there is a distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian, between the church and the world. God's new society, the church, is as different from the old society as salt from decaying meat and as light from darkness. But there are too many people who stop there. There are too many of us whose whole preoccupation is with survival. That is, maintaining the distinction. The salt must retain its saltiness, they say. It must not become contaminated. The light must retain its brightness, they say. It must not be smothered by the darkness. And that is true, but that is merely survival. It's like you become a Christian... Uh, and, 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 you know, you are left at the bus stop. I don't know, you call it bus stop here. Where you're waiting for the bus, the next bus to come. So you're left there, and you just stay there until the next bus comes. Most of us, we're just waiting there for the second coming of Jesus. Waiting to go to heaven. Salt and light are not just a bit different from the environment. They're not just a bit different from the world. They are to have a powerful influence on their environment. The salt is to be rubbed into the meat in order to stop the rot. The light is to shine into the darkness. It is to be set upon a lampstand. And it is to give light to the environment. That is an influence on the environment quite different from mere survival. Otherwise, even Trinity might as well become God's best kept secret in this community. I want to suggest four things for reflection this morning. First, I think Jesus in Philippians 2 and throughout Scripture is indicating that his followers, those who have placed their trust in the God of the Bible, should be seen as radically different to the watching world. The German historian Adolf Hanak, when he was asked why the early church grew so effectively and fruitfully the first 300 years after the writing of the New Testament, he said simply, they out-argued the pagans and outlived them in terms of their godly lifestyle. The early church grew through a combination of at least four things. One was patience. The, the first attribute of love, according to Paul, is that it is patient. First Corinthians 13:4. Love is patient. Whatever the circumstances, patience reigned. Often we are too much in a hurry, too much in a hurry to change society, too much in a hurry to look different. Well, patience. 
The second one was habitus or habitual behavior. They took seriously that it was behavior that spoke truly about what they believed. We do not speak great things, but we live them, said Cyprus. And the third one, catechesis, instruction by word and mouth and worship. The churches were committed to forming these habits of behavior in their members. And through instruction which measured on a changed life rather than simply the acceptance of certain doctrines was the way habits were nurtured. And a deep engagement with God in worship provided the motivation to maintain that changed life. And then the fourth word, ferment. They relied not on Christian activism, but on God's invisible power to fulfill his plans, which was seen as not susceptible to human control. And the metaphor of fermentation is deliberately chosen because though it is a a relentless process it is both unseen and not in a hurry the churches were grown by the life of the spirit not by thrusting evangelistic strategies not that strategies are not important and so it was the habitual behavior of patient Endurance that made Christianity both deeply disturbing and yet attractive to outsiders amid the turmoil, paganism, and confusion of the first century. That's why one of the key themes in the Bible is the distinctiveness and the differentness of Christian witness before the watching world. The second thing Jesus mentions is how Christians are called to penetrate the world. And in these first few verses, he highlights the importance of being different. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its test, how shall its saltiness be restored? We're called to be different. But secondly, we are called to penetrate the world. The salt is to penetrate corrupt meat. And as the light of the world, he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So as salt, we are to impact a corrupted world, a broken world, a confused world. But we are also to bring the light of the gospel into the world. Historically, the church has often struggled with what its calling is in relation to the world. And there are often in missiology three views that have been espoused throughout the centuries. I think the most popular is the the call for Christians to to be separate from the world, uh, which is true to some extent. But this has led to many of us cutting ourselves from the world altogether almost as though we 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 shop from a different you know shopping mall there, there is a target specifically for believers 
you know, we send our kids to schools that are specifically for believers. We breathe oxygen specifically. We, we cut, cut ourselves off. And most of us were even embarrassed that we don't have non-Christian friends. Don't have anything to do with the world. Stay away from the world. Some theologians have argued against this view and said, No, the world should be assimilated into the church. Whether it's pagan notions or other philosophies. This is how we have ended up with syncretism. We simply add Jesus to a long list of other gods that we already have. So, if you can't beat them, join them. Just, just allow everything in. And then we'll see what happens. And that is also wrong. The third view would be to engage with the world. Living in the world, but retaining our distinctiveness. Being different from the world, but bearing witness to the light of the gospel. John Stott once put it beautifully when he said, The calling of the Christian church is to be morally distinct without being socially segregated. And sometimes we have confused the two. It's a big challenge to be morally distinct. Living in a corrupted world without losing our saltiness and engaging socially. The salt needs to soak into the meat. And the light needs to penetrate the darkness. And that calls for engagement. That, that invites you to be part of the school. Part of the community. Get to know your neighbors. Understand the demographics in your community. Get involved in the school where your children go to. Turn the hospital into your mission field if you're a medical doctor or a medical profession. The salt needs to soak into the meat and the light needs to penetrate the darkness. As one Dutch Christian once said, a ship is safe in a harbor, but that is not its purpose. No more than the fact that we are safe in our church buildings. That is not why we exist. We exist to share the light of the gospel before the watching world. And this happens in every sphere of life, whether it's in the world of art, uh, business, medicine, education, government. We are both the church gathered like this morning and the church scattered for the rest of the week. And thirdly, as a consequence, Christians are called to influence and change non-Christian society. Christians are called to make it more pleasing to God. You can't make people or society holy, as it were. But our calling as Christians is to be salt and light in both proclaiming the gospel and improving the culture that we find ourselves When Jesus speaks of salt and light, he's also arguing that Christians should retain their Christian distinctiveness. What good is salt when it loses 
its saltiness. One of the challenges for us in Africa is with the prosperity gospel and health and wealth and profits all over the place is that often we don't have the courage to call out what looks white and is not salt. What happens if you leave a lump of salt outside overnight? Well, tomorrow morning, what you find is white powder because all the salt is gone. And white powder is not salt. And often we don't have the courage to call out false prophets because all they are is white powder and not salt. What good is salt when it loses its saltiness? Our calling, which is part of our mission, is to be salt and light. Our calling is to be radically different. Our calling is to penetrate the world, to seek to influence and change it with God's help, and to retain our distinctiveness. The church will really change society for the better only when individual believers make their chief concern their own spiritual maturity, which means living in a way that honors God's commands and glorifies his name. Such a concern inherently includes a firm grasp of the scriptures and an understanding that is primary mandate to us is to know Christ and proclaim his gospel. And so a godly attitude coupled with godly living is what makes the saving message of the gospel credible to the watching world. In other words, if we claim to be saved, if we claim to be born again, but still convey proud and loving attitudes towards the lost, our preaching and teaching, no matter how doctrinally or politically savvy or persuasive, will be ignored or rejected. How now shall we live in the land between? How shall we live in uncertain times? Well, in such a way that we are an influence on society. We are to bring flavor to the world. We are to preserve this decaying world. And we are to let our light shine before man in such a way that God is glorified. And we do so with, 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 with caution, with humbleness, with humility, in moderation. And I say moderation because too much salt is toxic, isn't it? Imagine what happens, you, you, know, you buy a, a, a pocket of fries and you're trying to add just a little bit of salt and you end up with the salt shaker in the fries. Well, you're going to throw the fries away. Too much salt is toxic. And yet in moderation, carefully, carefully with humility, it brings aroma and it stops decay. The same thing is true with light. Too much light will destroy your eyes. And we are called to be salt and light. How then shall we live in such a way that we are an influence on society? We bring flavor to the world. 
We are to preserve this decaying world and we are to let our light shine. And may God help us to do this and deliver us from passivism and compromise. Let me pray for us. Lord, even as we have sung this morning, enable us to look around and see the crying out for life so full, so free. Enlighten us that we may know your will. Enrich our lives that joy in us may be a flaming light of your great peace for all the world to see. God of power, come, strengthen us, strengthen each one of us. Your message to proclaim that love and grace and hope are found in Jesus' wondrous name. Help us, Lord, to be salt and light in a world in turmoil. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.